throughout the summer, we're uh, tracking along in Matthew's Gospel in the Revised Common Lectionary. So I'll read our passage today from Matthew 13. That day Jesus went out of the house and sat down beside the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he climbed into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd was standing on the shore. He said many things to them in parables. A farmer went out to scatter seed, and as he was scattering seed, some fell on the path, and, both, and birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it scorched the plants, and they dried up because there were no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and bore fruit. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1. In another case, a yield of 60 to 1. In another case, a yield of 30 to 1. Everyone who has ears should pay attention. Consider, then, the parable of the farmer. Whenever people hear the word about the kingdom and don't understand it, the evil one comes and carries off what was planted in their hearts. This is the seed that was sown on the path. As for the seed that was spread on rocky ground, this refers to people who hear the word and immediately receive it joyfully. Because they have no roots, they last only for a little while. When they experience distress or abuse because of the word, they immediately fall away. As for the seed that was spread among thorny plants, this refers to those who hear the word, but the worries of life and false appeal of wealth choke out the word, and it bears no fruit. As for what was planted on good soil, this refers to those who hear and understand and bear fruit and produce. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1, and another, a yield of 60 to 1, and another case, a yield of 30 to 1. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. Get the chance to um, introduce and invite. Uh, friend of mine um, that I've known in several different capacities. Uh, Thomas Cordes, um, uh, when I first got to know him, uh, was a priest. He was my neighbor. He, uh, with his kids, tended chickens. Um, Thomas is VW van obsessed, um, and you might see him at uh, many coffee shops around town. These days, Thomas is a realtor and helped us um, in some of our um, uh, long and winding road around the real estate of this building and has been a friend and advocate um, for that. Um, and, um, and Thomas is also a dad and going to be a dad again. Uh, and so we're really happy for he and uh, Julie and their family. Um, Thomas uh, reached out and said, I really uh, would love to preach if that would bless y'all. Um, and in the summer times, that is like magic, beautiful, milk and honey words to a pastor. Uh, and, uh, and so I've been really excited uh, since I, I took him up on that invitation, made sure he was serious about it, and he accepted uh, joyfully. So welcome, Thomas, uh, to preach today. Thanks, Chris. I, uh, my family and I attend City Well just down the street, and so, hello. As a sister church down the road, we uh, think really highly of y'all. 
Um, and I get to preach this sermon at my church in a couple weeks. So I'm uh, thankful. thankful for the opportunity. Um, I don't know if we have any gardeners in the room. Raise your hand if you're a gardener. All right, we've got one. Okay, I don't know when you call yourself a gardener, but raise your hand if you have a garden. Because, you know, or if you work in the garden outside. Um, you guys have a community garden, which I, I drive by often. Um, gardening is hard. I remember once I planted tomato plants, and they sprang up literally like twice as tall as I was, but yet no tomatoes, <laughs> right? And someone told me my soil was all wrong. I don't know. You know, I didn't know what to do. Um, and again, uh, recently my wife Julie and I planted some phlox ground cover. We had been admiring this lush pink ground cover in our neighbor's yard and we kept asking what it was. And we finally went to the Durham Garden Center and spent more money than I want to confess on phlox ground cover. Only to have the wild bunnies and apparently there's a thing called a phlox beetle just devour all these plants after, you know, lots of money and lots of hours laying it out and, you know, digging it up, digging up the soil and planting. So the bad news is the flocks, I don't know if it's going to survive. But the wild bunnies look incredibly healthy. <laughs> we have so many bunnies in our neighborhood this year. I know the jokes, but it's just, there's a lot. And then, and then we all, this, this flocks beetle is thriving as well, just so you know. But there's something magical about sprouting seeds. Kids, have you ever done sprouting seeds at school where you just see the green shoot just pop out of this dead-looking rock called a seed? There's something magical about plants and gardens and seeing really colorful peppers and tomatoes when the tomato plant does produce tomatoes. It's pretty miraculous. It's almost like magic. This morning, as Meg shared with us and Chris read, uh, our passage comes from Matthew 13, the parable of the farmer or the sower. And in this parable, Jesus announces that the kingdom of God comes like a sown seed, comes to soil, looking incredibly weak, looking incredibly vulnerable. Like sown seed, the word announcing the arrival of the kingdom can easily go unnoticed, ignored, trampled underfoot, disproven, snatched away, choked out. The kingdom of God comes like a sower. When you think about it, a sower is one of the most de dependent people imaginable. A sower surrenders their seed, something that they had control of, they could protect, they could store away, and they throw it on the ground. And there's a variety of variables, as we read and as, as Meg pictured for us, many of which are totally outside of their control. The soil, the weather, the sun. We know something about scorching heat, don't we? <laughs> right? Birds, the weeds. All the sower can do after sowing is wait and watch. And maybe try to scare the birds away. If you've ever tried to scare the birds and squirrels away, they're persistent buggers, Right? And the weeds, why do weeds grow so much better than plants? You ever thought about that? <laughs> anyway, that's another day. So the way of the kingdom comes and can seem unimpressive and even downright problematic. And to be honest, it's easy to feel pessimistic sometimes about the future of the kingdom of God. 
I mean, when we think about the kingdom coming like sown seeds, vulnerable and weak and seemingly the lowest thing on the food chain, right? We talked about chickens. Chickens love to eat seeds. They'll dig up a garden just to eat the seeds. So much wasted seed, so many obstacles working against it. The disciples must have thought the same thing, especially when they saw people reacting to Jesus as they walked around with him. The Pharisees sought to destroy Jesus. Jesus' own family thought he was mentally unstable. The scribes thought Jesus was possessed by the devil. With so much opposition and misunderstanding to block its path, what chance did the kingdom of God really have to succeed? And we can feel this way, too, when we look around. I'm kind of obsessed with checking Google News. I don't know why. But every once in a while, you know, a couple times a day, I'll just pop open my phone and read headlines, and it's not good, <laughs> right? It's heavy. So much of the headlines are, are not are heavy, and it's the brokenness and the evil of this world are so pervasive. But it's not just that. I think this, this other thing is even harder. When you look around at, at the Christians and the, the kingdom that is popular and is out there and people know about, that's sometimes even worse. <laughs> the things that people do and say in the name of Jesus, these, these toxic Christians, I like to call them, that's even harder for me often than the brokenness and the evil of the world. And it seems that the true Jesus followers in the churches that are really trying to be faithful to the mission of Jesus seem small and feeble compared to the brokenness of the world and the flashy false prophets of our age. But this morning, the parable of the sower offers hope and optimism in the midst of the heaviness and in the midst of the temptation to feel pessimistic. Both Jesus the sower and the kingdom word he sows will always appear weak and vulnerable to the uninitiated, to those who don't know the secret of the kingdom of God. The parable of the sower is not pessimistic in the very least about the final harvest. This is an incredibly optimistic and hopeful window into the power of the kingdom of God. Considering the average seed multiplies 10 times. I have a brother-in-law who's a farmer in eastern Washington near Spokane, and he literally has his whole fields, like 2,000 acres, GPS mapped. And he can tell you the yield of each area of his farm. As this combine comes through, this combine was like the cost of a house, basically. <laughs> As it goes through and it cuts the grains down, soybean, wheat, it calculates the weight and the yield of each section and assigns it to his field. He knows the yield that his crops give, and he knows if a, a certain field is worth planting because the ROI and what it costs to, take to, to bring in the harvest and to plant. Well, the average seed gives 10 times the amount of yield as was put into the ground. So considering the average seed multiplying 10 times as an average crop, you can imagine how seed multiplying 30, 60, or 100 times would be such cause for rejoicing for the farmer and the sower. That's an incredible yield. 
So the parable of the sower is incredibly optimistic about the future God has promised for us and that he is working towards. It points to an incredible power of the kingdom to bear fruit, even against a lot of odds. But at the outset, the math can seem discouraging, right? Only one type of soil worked, right? Three out of the four did not produce. But the one that did produced incredibly, exponentially. So siblings in Christ, do not lose hope as you look around, as you experience and walk through tough stuff, discouraging stuff, heavy, painful stuff. Despite appearances, our God's kingdom is coming and it will come. And it is and it will be glorious. A few more observations from the parable this morning. Quick growth and impressive growth is not really what we're after. I love the signs y'all painted on your church. What does it say? Slow growth? Trust Trust the slow work of God. Quick growth is not what we're after. Verse 5 said, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. How often do you look around and you're like, Oh, wow, that person, that church, that's so impressive. I wish. Why? isn't my how come I'm not and you're just looking around at other people's growth and other other fruit the plants that withered were impressive at the outset but their roots weren't adequate and they withered and died when they were scorched by the heat as Eugene Peterson put it we need a long obedience in the same direction we need slow growth. Roots, we need deep roots. And the thing about roots is you can't see them, right? My kids would often try to, like, they'd plant something, they'd pull it up to see if it was growing well, you know? (laughs) Pull it up to see if the roots were, oh yeah, it's doing good. And they put it back. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not good anymore, right? (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to know. And when you really want to know, you can mess it all up. Growth can be slow and boring, and when it seems like nothing is happening, things can be happening. My mother-in-law says when you plant something, a a bush in your yard, the first year it sleeps, the second year it creeps, and the third year it leaps. And usually it's about a third year that you kind of forgot about it, and you're not watching it as closely, and then it just leaps up, right? But how do we grow? What does that look like? Well, Jesus gives us some, uh, how do we put down roots? Jesus gives us a little glimpse into that in verse 23. But as far as those sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields 30, 60, 100 So Jesus calls us to hear the word, to understand the word here and here and here, and to live in light of the word and to bear fruit. Well, brothers and sisters, siblings in Christ, 
Jesus is the living word. And he invites us to abide in him, to sink our roots deep in him. To carry on this botany lesson, Jesus says in John 15 that I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we are invited to live in union with Jesus by the power of the Spirit in perfect relationship with the Father in this Trinitarian faith and hope that we have. So my question for us this morning is, are we growing? Are our roots seeping deeper into the ground? I just had this picture. Have you seen the picture of the tree of life on the West Coast? It's in Washington State. Anyway, it's this massive tree, and a stream has run now right under it. And it's holding on on both sides as the stream rushes to the ocean, and it's right on the coast. And it's beautiful, massive root system that's been able to overcome erosion like straight under this tree, and it's gorgeous. It's on the Google, so tree of life. So are we growing? How can we live more intentionally daily, weekly, and monthly with practices that foster an abiding in Christ? I can speak from experience. As Chris said, uh, I was a pastor in Durham for nine years, and before that for about six years while I was going to seminary. And my, literally my job was to read the Bible and to like, teach kids, and I was a youth pastor for a long time, and teach people about the Bible. It's a lot harder to read the Bible when you're, like, working full-time. I hate to tell you this, Chris. I read the Bible more when, I'm, when people ask me to preach, and I'm not super proud of that, um, but it's, it's, life is so distracting, and there's so many things that demand our attention, and not only that, we're, I'm just a really distracted person. Like, our phones are incredible tools, but they're terrible distraction advice, devices, right? And so I have four kids, one on the way. I have clients that text me at like all hours of the day, this morning, late last night, and very time sensitive, right? And I'm really good at taking care of other people. I'm not as good at taking care of myself. I'm trying to learn how to know what I need and trying to prioritize what's important over what's urgent in my life. And when it comes to abiding in Christ, that often gets pushed out of my life by those urgent things. Or I'm just so dang distracted that I don't do it. So this morning, I want you to think about how Jesus' words are calling you to grow your roots deeper in him. And as I said before, I don't want us to compare our growth and our fruit with those around us. Your gifts are different. Your situations are different. Your healing is different. Your trauma is different. How God is equipping and remaking you and making you new and beautiful is different than the people around you. So don't compare growth. Don't compare fruit. 
It's like comparing apples and oranges. Like you might be growing peppers and someone else might be growing tomatoes and have an amazing, amazingly tall tomato plant with no tomatoes. I think the parable of the sower also reminds us how important community is. When you think about all the variables working against the seeds, all the variables working against the plants, the devil, the troubles, the persecutions, the cares of this world, money, greed, the daily worries and distractions. Like, we need each other, right? Think about the Heimlich remove. This is this choking image kind of came to me. And think about the Heimlich maneuver. Like, when you're choking, you can't necessarily unchoke yourself, right? You need someone to just grab you, and it, it seems painful at the time, and like, what are you doing? But it's helping you, right? <laughs> we need each other. And sometimes when we're struggling the most, we have a tendency to kind of withdraw from each other and to hermit because we don't really want people to know what's going on or we don't, want to, we don't feel like we have the strength to share what's really going on. So check on your people. If someone isn't showing up, it's not because they don't like you. It could be. But more likely it's because they're struggling. And I don't really know how to talk about it. And they feel some shame. They feel pain. So check on your people. Lastly, I just want to share that I don't think the central theme of this parable is kind of like a personality test or like a spiritual grade. Like, what kind of soil are you? <laughs> right? I don't think that's the main point. Jesus' parables are really interesting because he uses everyday objects, everyday situations in a way that reveals something shocking about the kingdom. I also think he used parables so he didn't get thrown in jail sooner because he was just talking about seeds, right? <laughs> he was just talking about treasures. He wasn't talking about politics and the religious society of the day, right? Well, he uses these, these metaphors to shock people. So when you think about this parable, what is the shocking part of this parable? Is it that some seeds didn't grow? No. You experience this. Often seeds don't grow. It's, you know, some seeds grew more than others, but that's normal. So the real shocking part of this parable is how bizarre the sower was and how seemingly unsmart he was, right? He was just throwing seeds everywhere. On the path? I mean, who does that? Oh, let's just throw them in the, in, the, in the thorny areas, too. No, who does that, right? It's bizarre. It's, it's wasteful extravagance. But this is the kingdom of God. One commentator wrote this. What if the parable of the sower is not about our own success and failures and birds and rocks and thorns, but about the extravagance of the sower, who does not seem to be phased by such concerns, who flings seed everywhere, wastes it with holy abandon, who feeds the birds, whistles at the rocks, picks his way through thorns, shouts hallelujah at the good soil, and just keeps on sowing, confident that there is enough seed to go around, that there is plenty, and that when the harvest comes in at last, it will fill every barn in the neighborhood to the rafters. 
This is the kingdom of God. It's not how we would do it, right? We would think about efficiency, the ROI, return on investment for where we plant and how we plant it. But our God is the God of abundant grace, lavish love, extravagant hope, and wasteful sowing. This was the scandalous thing about Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. He wasted his time with sinners and tax collectors and those that people didn't value or care about. He spoke to the Samaritan woman. He identified with the poor, the working class, and the least valued in society. He welcomed all who knew their need and who knew they needed help. So siblings in Christ, I think there's a call to us today because I think we can be too cautious. We can be too calculated and too judgmental when it comes to where we sow our time, our money, ourselves. God desires all to be saved, and God is not afraid of wasting his grace and his love and his forgiveness and his power on those who don't deserve it, who don't and will not receive it. Our God is the God of lavish and wasteful and extravagant grace sowing with excess and welcoming all. So question for us this morning is, how does this excessive, extravagant, wasteful reality of our God affect us, how we follow him? How does it affect this community of Oak Church and how it sows into this community of Lakewood? And siblings in Christ, thanks be to God that our God is extravagant and wastes his grace upon us who don't deserve it, because that's really the only reason we're here. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen.